in sermon four, I know I'm a weirdo, of, uh, of our, nope, not today, Satan, when the, when the screens were flickering up here just a minute ago, was I the only one that was thinking, nope, not today, Satan, we ain't doing that. They were just coming on and off, and I know that uh, those guys are doing all they can to keep that from happening. But we are in our fourth sermon looking at the schemes of the enemy from 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. And here's what we've learned. The schemes of the enemy are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, we talked about just a few weeks ago, is what? It's pleasure, right? Can you see way down there? Lust of the flesh is pleasure. The lust of the eyes is possession, Right? It's those things that we want. We're going to get some stuff. And if we can get enough stuff, then everything will be great. And, 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 and all of our, our, our desires and wants and needs will be fulfilled. Today we're talking about the pride of life. Okay? We're talking about the pride of life, which is position. Position, otherwise known as self-centeredness. How many of you in your life have been self-centered at one time or another? All right, most everybody is being truthful here today. Let me ask you this question. I don't have a picture of you guys up here, um, but if I had a photographer and I took a picture right now of the congregation, of you sitting out here right now, and I put it up on the screen, who's the first person you're going to look for? Yourself, right? You're going to be like, where am I at? Where am I? And if everybody else is making that, I just ate a whole persimmon tree face, you know? It's like, mm, yeah, I got that weird thing going on. But you look like, you might remember back in the late 80s and 90s glamour shots. Oh, yeah. Yo, yeah. You look like it was on purpose. And it's like, man, I am looking good in that picture. You would look at that picture if everybody else looked horrible in that picture. And none of you do. You all look great. But if they did, you would say, that is a good picture, right? Because I look good in it. You know, we all have a little bit of that going on. We're all a little bit self-centered. And I love saying this to my kids because it just absolutely drives them crazy. But I, I tell them if we'll look on the Google machine and you type in self-centered, tons of stuff comes up, right? On the Google machine about being self-centered. Uh, and we shouldn't be surprised. Paul warned about this 2,000 years ago in 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 1. He said, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a what? A form of godliness, but doing what? denying his power. Have we described the world we live in? Yeah. That's a long list of stuff that goes on in the world we live in and we have a form of godliness. We know how to act when we get in church or around certain people, but we deny his power because we got this other part of our life maybe that we're just sort of living over here or, or we, maybe we're good with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, but with this whole issue of position, what it has done is it has created a wall. As you can tell, I haven't shrunk, well, maybe a little, but the wall has gotten taller every week. Have you noticed that? 
The wall's gotten taller. So more and more that I embrace these things, the more and more that I get separated in my relationship with God, I'm separated from him and I get separated from other people who would pour into my life and have some, some positive influence on my life. So I want us to look real quickly at a few ways that this whole idea of self-centeredness is expressed in our culture today. It is first expressed through individualism. Uh, and I did this in the early service. Might as well do it again right now, right? Um, forgot to tell you, if you'll go on the Bridge NC app, which probably a lot of you are already there, go to the Bridge Goldsboro, click on notes, and you will find the notes for this sermon right there. So a lot of what I'm about to share with you, hopefully, is already in front of you. But number one is individualism, which says others don't matter. It's all about me. <clears throat> Have you ever heard... Uh, uh, Somebody say, look, I've got to do what's right for me. If it feels good to me, I'm going to do that. I want to ask you a question. Do you think people are getting more considerate or do you think people are getting more rude? They're getting more rude, right? Rude. Um, so, uh, <laughs> watch a little bit of YouTube. So anyway. I was telling this story, and I was a little bit afraid to share it in the second service, but I'm going to go ahead and do it, and I'll just face the repercussions when I get home. But my wife is really good about helping me when I'm in an automobile. I, I'm, I know everybody's going to look at me, and they're going to be very holy when they're looking back at me when I share what I'm about to share. But have you ever got behind that, that sweet person who just is not going to drive the speed limit for loving their money. Matter of fact, probably going to go about 15 miles an hour under the speed limit. And when they're making that left-hand turn at that T crossroads, but they're, you know, they could go straight or make the left, they're going to wait till no cars are visible on the highway. Then they're going to turn, all right? Now, I know it doesn't bother you. It bothers me. I need a double dose of Jesus when I get behind somebody that's doing that because I'm just like, please go. You know, you can do it. I believe you can do it. And you know what my wife always says? What she always says is this. <laughs> I, am, I am not a smart man. Uh, <laughs> you know, if somebody's behind your mom and daddy and, and you were do, they were doing like that, you wouldn't like that one bit, would you? And I'm like, I think my mama's riding with me right now, <laughs> getting on me. But she will. She will. And she don't say it like that, honey. You don't say it like that. You're so much prettier than that when you say it. But she says, she says that, and do you know what drives me the most crazy? You know why I gave that little sarcastic tone when I said it? Because she's right. And it drives me nuts because she's right. I don't need to be rude like that. I need to be considerate. I need to do better at that. But we all have a tendency to be rude and we have to take a step back and be more considerate. So B, we will move on before the hole gets any deeper. Secularism. Secularism. God doesn't matter. 
This says God doesn't matter. It says in verse 4 that they were lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They, they wanted all this stuff. There were 19 things that we read off in that passage of Scripture. And, and we wanted all this stuff. And God doesn't matter. It's about me and what I can get. And the Bible is clear that eternity is written on the hearts of mankind. And what we've really truly discovered is there are really very few real atheists most believe in something, um, but the, we have this attitude in affluent times that says this, let God take care of his business and I will take care of mine. How many of you remember 9-11? How many of you remember the news and late night talk shows the night of 9-11? There, there was a coming to Jesus in those moments. There was weeping. I saw David Letterman cry on his talk show. Praying for the nation. All of these things where we just collectively came together because of the horror that we had just experienced and the enormity of the loss that we had endured as a nation. And things got easier. They got better. Not that we ever forgot, but a little time went by. And we find ourselves slipping back into the same behaviors we were in before. When the pressure wasn't, isn't on quite as strongly. And then see narcissism the only thing that matters is me have you ever been two you've been a narcissist okay because <laughs> we we learn it we start it then right it's mine it's mine and if it's yours it's mine and if it's mine it's mine and if it's that guy across the street it's mine too that's what we learn when we're two years old and we have to have parents in our life right to teach us that's not the way that we should be um, they were lovers of themselves all we're interested in, and sometimes we don't grow out of that. All we're interested in, our goals, our dreams, our values, what is in it for me? That's all we care about. And what is scary is a lot of times we see it in the church. We don't see it here, but we see it in the big C church often. Um, we see individualism in the church. Entertain me, and I'll attend. If it's good, if it's entertaining, I'll come and and and. And I'll be there. And I, I mean, we have amazing worship. We have an incredible team. We have incredible uh, people that serve out in the lobby and, and in our kids' areas and all that. But it's not all about us. It's about him. Secularism. Man, this is a great social gathering. It's a, it's a wonderful network. It is a great place for me to find the ladies. Right? And you know what, guys? You're right. The church is a great place to meet somebody that you may spend the rest of your life with. But when you meet them at church for the very first time, after you meet them, leave them alone, okay? Don't follow them around and call them all the time or text them all the time. You know, give them some space. 
Let me give you a little hint. Girls don't like that, okay? And, uh, and so, get, not that anybody's done that, but I have had to have conversations with guys before. Let a, let a girl come to church and love on Jesus, right? Amen? Y'all real quiet. So, anyway... <laughs> But that's true, is it not? It is a great place to connect. It is a great place to meet. Uh, my wife and I were talking to our kids the other day and said she came to Bible college and got her MRS degree, okay? She met her Mrs. degree. She met me. Um, and so you got it, all right? Um, but and that's fine, but it's not just about the social experience that's important but it's about connecting with God and then the narcissistic behavior if 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 you stop meeting my needs and I'm just going to quit coming one of the things that I always ask in our ownership class when you come to to be a part and join the church is the first question I ask anybody that ever comes is this one are you called here are you called here why is that an important question why is it important to be able to answer the question, I've been called somewhere? Because I'm going to let you down, right? I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to do something. I'm going to, you know, miss a text or I'm going to whatever. I may say something up here that you're thinking, what in the world, you know? Um, but I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to let you down. People, have, have, have you ever been let, been let down by anybody? Has anyone ever let you down? Has anybody close to you ever let you down? hurts doesn't it but what do you do you work through it you move through it you heal through it you forgive through it and you let God do what God does and that's why the calling to a to a church is so important because people are going to just be people and you're going to be people too you're going to let folks down but if we're called here, we all have the same purpose, the same goal. And so it gives us an incentive to forgive and move forward in Jesus' name. Amen? All right. So we got to address this. We got to look at this because this problem can cost us big time if we don't. So let's look at what individualism leads to. Individualism, if we embrace it, it leads us to loneliness. What causes fights and quarrels among you, James 4, 1 asks? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? How many of you know that one of the most powerful emotions on the planet is loneliness? Amen? You ever seen anybody make a decision because of loneliness? I'm telling you, I've seen some foolish decisions made because they were driven by that. Don't allow loneliness to do that to you. I know a, a person who connected with a guy on a website from overseas, needed a few thousand dollars, needed a visa, needed this, needed that, so I can come and see you and visit you. And this person was very, very lonely. And when it was all said and done, she had spent $75,000 to connect with this guy and get him to America. She never saw his face, never met him, never came, got built out of all that money. It is it is crazy how it will affect people's lives and we've got to address it, look at it, see it for what it is and understand that it's not about me finding someone to complete me. Um, Tom Cruise and whoever, who was the, the girl on the movie that said, what was it? 
Yeah, that girl. Um, <laughs> she said, you complete me, you know. And um, I don't complete my wife. Not my job. Not her job to complete me. It's not about you finding someone to make you complete. Listen to me. It is about you becoming who you need to be. Becoming the right person. Then if you happen to meet somebody along the way, guess what? If you've become who you need to be, you're ready for it. If you haven't, you're not. And another person and another person and another person isn't going to make that happen. So anyway, just be mindful of that. Be aware of that. Be cognizant of that. Uh, secondly, secularism. It leads to helplessness. Secularism leads to helplessness. Job 21, beginning in verse 14. They say to God, go away. We want no part of you and yours. Who is the Almighty and why should we obey him? What good is it for us to pray? They think their prosperity is their own doing. And how arrogant can we be? How many of you know that, in, in, that being born in a particular place in this world has a tremendous amount to do with the opportunity that you have in this world? You ever been to a third world country? Um, my wife and I went to the Dominican Republic for our honeymoon, and I thought it was over before it started because it, it was It was rough. It was a rough, rough area and very, very, very poverty stricken. And then you ride over this, this one little mound and you look over to your right and there's this lush green and it's where all the tourism is and all that stuff. And, 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 and that was where they earned a living. That's where they, they made a living. But there are a lot of brilliant, inventive, talented people in third world countries who just are not given the opportunity that we have living here in America. Now, when they are given that opportunity, it's amazing what we see happen. So then we add to that life and breath and health and gifts that all come from God. If we take a God-doesn't-matter approach, then one day it's going to happen. The day's going to come when we realize the truth and it, 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 it may be too late. There may be a rude awakening there. There are no self-made men or women. It is by the grace of Almighty God that you have every single stitch of clothing that is on your body today. It is all because of him. Amen? Amen. And then narcissism leads to hopelessness. Secularism leads to helplessness. Narcissism leads to hopelessness. Uh, about 30, 35 years ago, bestsellers were uh, books that had titles like this, Looking Out for Number One, How to Be Your Own Best Friend, Total Self-Confidence. And people who read these books, guess what they did? They had children, right? And they raised them with that kind of mentality. Not everybody, but some of them did. Want to guess what the bestsellers were of uh, the turn of the century? They were books like this, Children of the Self-Absorbed, A Grown-Up's Guide to Getting Over Narcissistic Parents. That's where we've come. That's what it leads to. When it's all about us and it's all about me and, and my habits, we have to come to a place where we say it's got to stop. There's got to be a breaking of this. There's got to be a solution to this. 
And, um, and God gives us everything we need in his word. Psalm 36 said it this way. He said, in their own eyes, they flattered themselves too much to detect or hate their own sin. Yeah, everything else and everybody else must be bad, but not this guy. So how do we do it? How do we break this whole thing of being self-centered? How do we tear down the wall that has been built by our own actions, by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that separates us from our relationship with God, from that being everything it needs to be, and it also separates us from our relationship with other people. What do we do? How do we overcome that? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to build strong relationships. We have to build strong relationships. We need support in difficult times. We need encouragement to grow in our faith. We need other members of the body of Christ. We need people to warn us when we've been taken in by the culture. And we start believing this stuff and living this way. We even need the conflicts that are associated with it. Can I say that again? We need the conflicts associated with good, healthy relationships. How many of you know that if you're in a good, healthy relationship, they're going to tell you from time to time some things that you need to straighten out in your life? How many of you know that love don't always feel like love? It feels like somebody's getting in my business. It feels like somebody's trying to tell me what to do. When the whole time we're looking at them going, do you look in the mirror? Do you see your life? And you're trying to tell me what I need to do? And all that is is deflecting. We're trying to avoid dealing with the issue that is at hand. And, and God has put those people in our lives to make us better. How many of you have heard about the bird who decided not to fly south for the winter? Because it was just way too much work. I got it, man. I'm pretty good. I'm a little bit narcissistic as a bird and I'm gonna stay right where I'm at because ain't nothing gonna freeze me, ain't nothing gonna mess me up. And guess what happened? All the birds flew south, but this bird, he stayed behind. He was cocky and he got him, he got him a little uh, an adjustment to that cockiness because the winter came and he's flying along and precipitation came like the, like the snowstorm, the blizzard of 2020 that we just had two days ago in Goldsboro, North Carolina. Oh, y'all didn't, that was a blizzard. Y'all didn't know that? I bet you couldn't buy bread Friday. Anyway, <clears throat> or milk. Uh, <laughs> um, never needed neither one of them things any other time. But buddy, when, it, when the snow starts coming, we got to get us some, I did it. I am, I, I, I fell into the trap. I went and got about eight, loaves of bread because I might need to make a sandwich. So that bird's flying and the precipitation comes and what happens to that bird? His wings freeze up. And that bird's over here with his wings frozen up. Can't fly and he's like, oh my goodness. This is horrible. I'm gonna, I, I can't believe I made this decision. I have come face to face with my own narcissism. I thought I was so good and now I'm going to freeze to death because my wings are frozen. And about that time, the Lord sends a cow. A cow. Oh, yeah. 
The cow walks up. He's been eating some hay. He's been chewing his cud, or she has. That would make it a cow. Um, and she drops a plop right on top of the bird. And he's like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? This, this cow has just dropped a plop on my head. I cannot believe it. And he's, he's getting all messed up. And then he realizes something. You know what he realizes? Yeah. <laughs> I can't get y'all to say nothing else, but y'all will talk about the, the doo-doo story. <laughs> yes, because it's warm. <laughs> I'm sorry for all the children in the room. Uh, um, so yes, because the, the plop is warm, the bird's like, oh my goodness. I'm starting to, I'm starting to loosen up a little bit, you know? Lo and behold, here comes a fox. Fox comes up. The bird's like, oh, my goodness. Fox starts digging. And he's like, oh, my goodness. Not only has the cow helped me out, the fox is helping me out, digging me out of the plop that I am in. And about the time he gets everything cleared out and the bird is able to fly away, the fox eats him. Three morals to the story. Everyone who drops a plop on top of your head is not your enemy. Everyone who helps you get out of the plop ain't your friend. <laughs> and sometimes when you're in the middle of the plop, you just need to keep your mouth shut, not let nobody know you're there. <laughs> Y'all are like, what does that have to do with anything? I don't know, but it's a bathroom. <laughs> It's bathroom humor, and I had to tell it. So there you go. <laughs> when they shared that as a team, I said, I'm talking about that on Sunday. I don't even know how I'm going to make it fit, but we'll weave it in somehow. So, And y'all were with me the whole time, so thank you very much. <laughs> Here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. You're like, what? We need each other. We need each other. In 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 11, it says, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But, what does it say there? Everything comes from God. Everything comes from God. He's saying that relationships are at the center of our lives. Life came from each other at the beginning. Health continues to come from connecting with each other. When we see someone interviewed that has had a house fire and they get out of the house, what is the first thing they always say, especially if it's a, a fully involved fire, everything is lost, but they get everybody out. What do they say? We lost it all, but at least everybody's okay. We can rebuild everything else, but we don't want to lose one another. So we go back to that passage. God doesn't just say we need each other. He says everything comes from him. In order for relationships to be what they need to be, to be healthy, to be, to be uh, life-giving, vertical relationship has to be the first thing. It has to be intact so that the horizontal relationships will be 
what they need to be. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How many of you know that in order for some of our horizontal relationships to be what they're supposed to be, it's going to take a supernatural touch from God? I can't forgive without God supernaturally intervening in my life because it's not, it doesn't come naturally for me. It comes naturally for me to keep score. It comes, comes naturally for me to say, you wronged me, so I'm gonna remember that. I may not wrong you back, but I'm gonna keep my distance from you from now on. But what Jesus did is extended grace to us, forgave us. And if he forgave me, I don't have a choice. The most arrogant thing I could do is live in unforgiveness towards someone else. When, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Amen. Second thing, we got to give ourselves away. We got to give ourselves away. How willing are we to do that? How willing are we to be conduits for what God is, is doing in our lives? Anybody ever been to the Dead Sea? Anybody ever read about the Dead Sea or whatever? I, <clears throat> I, got, I, I went to the Dead Sea and uh, to Israel in 1992, got into that water. Um, the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because there are tributaries that feed the Dead Sea, but it, that water goes nowhere. It's full of minerals and salt. The, the salt, the density is just unbelievable. I don't, I don't know what it is, but here's what I do know. I was able to get out in the middle of that thing and get over my head and stand like I'm standing right now. I almost fell off the stage. And stand and not sink. I didn't have to tread water. It was the wildest thing I'd ever experienced in my life. The one thing I didn't take into account was how salty the water really was because I decided that morning I ought to shave my neck so I'd look all nice and I got out and I went to wash it off in the fresh water showers they had and it lit me a fire. <laughs> the Dead Sea is dead because nothing flows out of it. No life can survive. What is God calling us to do? To be givers of life. To give life by giving Jesus. And when we're in Christ... And we say, Lord, use me. I want to give myself away. We are giving the life and love of Jesus to the world that we live in. And that's what God's calling us to do. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Why do we do those good works? What does Psalm 23 tell us? He leads us in paths of righteousness for what? Us, says for his name's sake, right? We're led in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So let's do something. Let's give ourselves away. We have 168 hours in the week to work with. What percentage are we giving to other people? And then thirdly, we got to practice self-denial. We gotta practice self-denial. Philippians 2 verse four says, each of you should look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. He wants us to look 
to the interest of others. Denying ourselves, building strong relationships, giving ourselves away. It's the reason that we have set things up the way we have here at the bridge because we know we are created to do that. We're created to serve. How do we know we're created to serve? Because God didn't ever intend for us to take all this up and bottle it up and keep it for ourselves. But it was to give it away. To be about others. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. The greatest commandment of them all. That's what God has called us to do. We live in a culture that says, live for self. And where has that gotten us? Maybe it's time to consider the alternative. To build some strong relationships, to give yourself away, and to practice self-denial. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Some of you already did that this morning. Some of you in this very room already said, I'm going to take up my cross. I'm going to deny myself and I'm going to follow Jesus. But some of you still need to make that decision. If you want to win the battle over self-centeredness, if you want to avoid the high cost of living this way, and if you want an abundant life, the life that he promises us, a life of freedom, a life of of liberty, a life where we are able to invest in someone else. Man, that's the life I want to live. I preach a lot of funerals <clears throat> just because of the nature of my job. I'm the congregational life pastor at the Princeton location and I visit a lot of hospitals and I see a lot of people at the end of their life. I visit a lot of families who talk about the people they love. And you know what they talk about when I, when I sit down with them and I say, um, tell me about your loved one. Tell me about the life that they lived. They don't tell me about how big the house was. They don't tell me about the, all the wonderful accolades they received or awards maybe that they had gotten over the course of their life. Not that any of those things are bad in and of themselves, but you know what they tell me? They talk to me about things like compassion. They talk to me about the time that that person spent with them fishing or how they invested in them and how they encouraged them in their education or how, how they, just, they just enjoyed being with them. And, and they, they always loved being around them because they had such a big smile on their face when all their family was there because that was so important to them. And it always challenges me to look at my own life. And I'm going to stand here today and be 110% honest with you because I got people sitting on the back row who know the truth. I don't always get it right. But what I always try to do is refresh the page. When I see that the priorities are out of whack, I hit refresh.
God, help me pause. Help me take time that I need to take with the people who are so valuable in my life. Help me to keep you first, God. To keep my family second. And to keep ministry and all of that stuff, as important as it is, help me to keep it in its right place. Because I don't always do that. And you don't either. And so as we sit here in this moment, it's 12, 12, the fried chicken's almost done. So you're okay. Maybe it's an opportunity for us to evaluate our own life. We're not in a funeral. We're not at the end of someone's life. But, but it's a great chance for you to look at your your own life and say, God, what are the things in my life that I'm making a priority that aren't? That I'm giving top 10 that are at best top 100. Help me to do what we did when we received communion today, Lord, and that is to search my heart. Help me, God, to see if there's anything in me that is not pleasing to you. And help me trust you enough today to give it to you. I don't need that in my life. I need more of you. And as long as I'm holding on to that, I'm keeping you from doing in me what you want to do. That's what the stuff does. When you lay it at the foot of the cross, guess what you do? You come to him with open arms and open hands for him to fill. With his mercy, his love, his empowerment, his strength, so that you can do what he wants you to do. The number of days we have here on this earth is very limited. I've wasted too many. I don't want to waste any more. And I pray you don't either. Would you bow your heads with me? <clears throat> so God, as we come to this time of introspection and, and we're asking you, God, to search our hearts, help us to be honest with you. We come to you, Lord, <clears throat> with frailty and imperfections, and that's okay. You know that. You know we're going to have those. God, when it is a, a sad testament is when we have those things and we can't even see them. Show us what is in us that needs to be out. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Lord, we come to you in this moment in humility and ask you to make us who you want us to be. Forgive us of our sin and wash us whiter than snow by the blood you shed on the cross of Calvary. And for it, God, we will be quick to give you all the glory.
in Jesus' name.